0: Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the Range Cattle Research and Education Center, University of Florida at ONA. And today, our guest is Mr. Flint Johns. Flint, thanks for being with us. You're very welcome. So Flint, I'd like you to please talk a little bit about yourself, your career and background. No problem. Well, as Joe
1: said, my name is Flint Johns. I work at likes brothers incorporated i'm the ranch manager my responsibilities include managing cattle operation uh the the um equipment operations and at one time even the farming operations sugarcane and sod production um i am not from south florida although i live here now i'm from marion county ocala florida i went to the university of florida and graduated in 2004 with an undergraduate degree in food and resource economics, and then again in 2006 with a master's of agribusiness, also in food and resource economics. So I'm a gator, and <laughs> I'm an economist. Fun fact about me, I've actually never taken an animal science class. I'm not proud of that. <laughs> I'm just saying and it's, uh, it's quite ironic. So... <laughs> Uh, but I've learned a lot since I've worked here, and I really wish I had taken some animal science classes while I was in school. So uh, uh, that's kind of my education and what I do for a living.
0: And how long have you been in this for you?
1: I have been the ranch manager at Likes since June of 2011. Okay. Uh, prior to that, I was worked under the, the previous ranch manager, Mike Milicevic, from 2007 to 2011.
0: Okay. And do you think that this background in economy really give you a different perspective? Because many times you talk to animal scientists that just think about animals, but the economic part it seems even more important.
1: Well, I, I do think it gave me a very different perspective than, say, somebody that's been trained in animal science. And it I didn't have any preconceived notions about how the science of the animal was supposed to you know how you were supposed to do that i was more focused on the economics so whatever worked economically is what i wanted to do not necessarily i was very open-minded about the science part of the animals uh not so open-minded about the economics of the operation so yes i do think it probably gave me a lot different perspective than somebody that was trained in animal science i'm not bashing animal science whatsoever that's great and there's, I've had to rely on lots of animal scientists to help me make the economics of this operation work. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and, and Flint, switching now, uh, we are talking about the economics here. So, um, one of your major activities here in the cal- is calf production, like many other uh, producers in Florida. Talking a, l- a little bit about the supplementation, that is a big chunk of the cost that we have in calf production. So, when you think about supplementation program here. With the, the animal in mind and also the economics, uh, what are your goals when you set up that program? So a little bit about like the supplementation program. We
1: do a little bit of everything, We and we feed a lot of different feedstuffs, and it's very much tailored to um, whatever that specific group of animals is needing, whether they be mature cows, whether they be heifers, whether they be first calf females, second calf females. Um, and so when I say we do a little bit of everything, we feed molasses, we feed range cubes, we feed dry feed, just concentrated dry pre-mixed feed. We feed concentrated feed along mixed with haylage. Um, so we do a little bit of everything and in terms of cost. Uh, it can be anywhere from as cheap as 39 cents per head per day, all the way up to a dollar or more uh, per head per day. You know, 39 cents would probably be some kind of molasses program on a very, you know, six, seven, eight year old cow um, with a dollar a day or more being on uh first calf heifer Probably a yearling heifer, potentially, or even a second calf heifer. I'm saying second calf heifer. That's not technically correct, but I think everyone would know what I mean. First calf female, second calf female, those first and second calf, and even sometimes the third calf, you really can spend a lot of money on them if you want them to reproduce. So um, in, in terms of, you know, total supplementation budget, for uh, for the ranch, I would say, and this includes depreciation and everything. I would say somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of the total cattle budget, including depreciation, would would be strictly supplementation costs. That does not include um, fertilizer or any kind of pasture activity either.
0: Yeah, that that would follow with my next question. So when you start your year. So your supplementation, pro- so do you You have a fixed budget? Mm-hmm. And then you have the natural variations and challenges that we have through the year, such as weather or, you know, forage that you can match with that supplement. So h- how do you manage that? Well, I do a lot of praying and hope for
1: a really good winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one way of, of doing it. That may sound <laughs> selfish, but, uh, yeah. you know, we... Yeah, it's, it's very dynamic as you've kind of alluded to Joe. I mean, hopefully you have a good winter and you can kind of quit supplementing earlier than later. Um, you know, it, it really, it's, it's hard. It's very difficult to manage. I, it, that's why I'm having such a hard time answering the question. Um, above all, you don't want your cows to get poor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and there'll be some cows that are doing fine and are looking really good. And so I will back off of them And, you know, if I've got cows that are body condition score four or even three, as much as I hate to say that, uh, I will try to intensify on them uh, if if need be. Now, you really don't want your cows to ever get in that kind of shape if you can help it. You need to be a little more proactive. But I live in the real world, and as much as I hate to say it, we do have cows that get thin. So you really need to kind of try to ramp up on them and back off. On others that are doing good, um, you know your pasture rotation comes into play here. The timing of your fertilization—you might fertilize sooner rather than later, or vice versa, whatever, whatever suits you. So you really—it's a—you really have to take a comprehensive look at the entire forage, you know, pasture program versus your supplementation, and you—you you need to make changes where you need to make changes. I, I, I think that answers the question, maybe.
0: And, and, Flint, if you have a budget, let's say 100, just to have a reference, so when, on average, in all those years that you have me managed the operation, how much is the proportion that you varies through that budget and to reach your goals, such as is there, like, a 20% variation, plus or minus, and you have that flexibility to do that adjustment? So the budget, the overall total dollars for a supplementation, it
1: doesn't really vary that much for, for this operation. It's, it's pretty hard What does vary wildly is what cattle get the money during any given year. As I've kind of alluded to earlier, I may shift resources from, you know, some cattle that are doing fine into some cattle that are, that are not doing fine. And you have to understand, Likes Brothers is a very big operation. They're very, There's a lot of different type of land types out here. So I might have a little more flexibility than a smaller operation to do some of these things that I'm talking about. Um, So it it can vary. I would say the maximum variation in total budget dollars spent would be ten to fifteen percent. over, I mean, naturally, if you're under, no one ever complains about, you know, being under. It's when you are over that everyone starts wringing their hands and sweating. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it, I would say 10 to 15%. Um, I've done it enough now where we, we generally kind of come in, um, pretty much on budget in terms of supplementation. But that's because we, my guys and myself, we've gotten skilled at sort of diverting resources within the
0: herd, I guess. And, and Flynn, uh, if you have to to give me just an approximate number, uh, out of that calf that leaves the range, uh, what what do you think is the proportion of the cost that comes from supplementation? I would say anywhere from
1: 25 to 30 percent of the total cost of the calf leaving the ranch is a function of supplementation. Again, not not talking about pasture fertilization. I'm just talking about feed of various kinds, whether it be dry feed, whether it be stored haylage or silage, or 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 molasses even. So.
0: And and Flint, I will switch gears here and go to another topic related also to economics. I will explore your knowledge in that area. And uh, going about um, bull power and going out and buying bulls. And I think here, because the size of the herd, you need to do a lot of uh, (laughs) purchasing on on bulls. So how do you uh, gauge the price that you can pay for a bull?
1: Well, the old adage, you know, you know, everybody kind of looks at how many steer calves it takes to pay, you know, for, they use steer calves or the value of a steer calf to judge, you know, how much they pay for a bull. And I've heard anywhere from four to seven, I think that sort of five, you know, give or take a half or so is probably about where likes would be on bull power. Now it will vary, you know, based on what kind of bulls you buy and where you buy them and what you're trying to do, that can vary wildly. But in a, in a big South Florida operation, um, I would say somewhere likes generally averages somewhere between about five, you know, I mean, some years, depending on bull markets and, you know, in calf markets, uh, it, it can vary, you know, some, but good average, I would say five. The value of five steer calves is generally what likes would pay for a bull. And, and a, it, 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 Between, you know, if there are some bulls that will be seven or eight, and there will be some bulls that are, you know, three or four, you know, but on average, about five.
0: Yeah, that, w- that would lead me to my next question. So what would be the category? That what is the target that you want to reach when you have a bull that will be a little more expensive
1: so it's really based on what i'm using him for i will pay more a lot more money for a bull that i'm retaining heifers out of i can justify that a lot more than i can say terminal sire i don't want to pay near as much for a terminal sire because his genetics are not making a lasting impact on the females of the ranch because I'm selling all of his females and all mm-hmm. his, all the all the heifer calves and the steer calves out of that terminal sire. So say like a Charlet bull, mm-hmm. I would pay a lot less for than I say a Brangus or a Beefmaster bull, which I am retaining. That and that helps sort of cheapen. You can pay more for the for the bulls that that you're keeping females out of, and because you didn't pay as much. For the terminal sire, and he yet he still gets you a very fine calf. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to buy the absolute best mm-hmm. charlotte bull out there to get a very nice calf because of the heterosis effect when you take that charlotte and you breed him to a Brangus or a brayford or a master or whatever you have.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Great, and and Flint, I will I will have uh, one more question here, and that also related to the economics now sh- uh, shifting to. Uh, general management on forages and other things that you have on the rank. so uh, when you make a decision to hire a custom work or to do yourself such as uh, fertilizing or harvesting hay or haylage Mm -hmm. or when you make that decision or you don't do yourself you just hire uh, how is your program here
1: So we have, when I first came here, we did a lot of stuff in-house. We have gotten away from that. Um, Just, it's hard to be efficient at everything. I generally find that, you know, contract applicators are a lot more efficient. Say, let's take fertilizer spreading, for instance. I mean, they run those rigs every single day. They don't run them for two months out of the year. They run them every single day, and they're skilled at running them. And they know how they're calibrated. Um, you know, when we had a fertilizer rig, and we used to have one. You know, our guy, we had one guy that could run it, and it, it it sat for three. It sat for nine months, basically. And so you had not only did you have to knock the rust off the off the machine, but you kind of the guy the guy that ran it had to kind of get reacquainted with it. And so there's in, lots of inefficiencies associated with that. So we have gone to a lot more contract plus you can also get you can get more contractors and generally you know contract work is sort of time sensitive so you can get it done faster with contractors I find than we can if we just did it in-house now it's nice to have the equipment you can go when you need to you don't ever have to wait on the contractor to get there and this is where likes might have a little unfair advantage over some operations it's a big place there's a lot of work so you know, the contractors are more willing to come here than say mm-hmm. a guy that has fifty acres, you know. Okay. So there's that to consider. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it, we have we it likes gets preferential treatment just because of its sure size and the amount of work that the contractor can get.
0: Mm-hmm. And Flint, we are going towards the end of our interview here and I would like to ask you three questions. And the first one is if you have to select two forage species that you like which one would be? <laughs>
1: it would depend on what kind of land, but the ones that work really good here, and this is by far my favorite, is limpo grass, Amathria. Uh That that is by far my favorite. I guess if I had to choose a second one, it would be bahia grass. It's sort of a distant second to me, though. <laughs> so limpo grass first, bahia grass second. But I might add that you have to have both of them <laughs> to have a successful system in it here at lights
0: and if you have to select two breeds that you have to work with and uh, which breeds would be
1: well so we actually have two breeds that we work with here and they're pranks and beef master and and they work pretty good especially when you cross them with each other i'm not saying they're the best i'm not saying they're the worst of mm-hmm. the two that likes has and they we mm-hmm. have learned to work with them and and make them work for likes mm-hmm.
0: And and Flint, uh, when you are not working, so what would you like to do in your spare time, hobby? And
1: so I have lots of hobbies and lots of things that I like to do. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't get to do much of them at all. Um, but I, I guess I would say I like to, I like to rope, I like to hunt, I like to fish, and I like to ski. Uh, and I don't know if they'd be in that order or not, but it'd be pretty close. Mm-hmm. So
0: great. So, so Flint, I would like to thank you for your participation in the podcast and I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what?